96, uh, as we were newly set in as pastors in 1994-95, you know, we just seeking God, just uh, wanting to find God in our day and what God wanted for us, and we were just seeking his direction, and I was sitting there... uh, if you can turn that down just a tad, maybe it's kind of ringing in my ear just a bit. But as I was sitting there uh, watching the program, his program, I felt that we were supposed to be there. And I've never been to Columbus, Ohio. I've never been to Ohio ever in my life. And uh, I just felt like we were supposed to be there. We got a hold of the travel agent and said, mark us a path. We're going to Columbus, Ohio just because I felt I'm supposed to be there. And uh, we went there, and we got uh, to meet them, uh, Rod and his church, and, and what God was doing. And the, uh, the conference at that time, his first ever, was it's time to raise the standard. And, you know, we just started pastoring in Monroe City, where we're from. And uh, it was time to raise the standard. We come out of the denominational setting, uh, Church of God in Christ, uh, which primarily was a black denomination, uh, Pentecostal denomination. And God said, take the church out in the wilderness to serve me. And uh, we went, and I, I mean, it, it, if you can understand that that's just not an easy thing to do, and people don't like when you do stuff like that. <laughs> Especially denominational type setting, people don't like that stuff. <laughs> but we were following God, and the pastor at the time was still living. And I was, you could see the transition in happening. And I said, went and talked to the pastor. I said, God is talking to me because I became his helper like in 1992, 1992 in there. Uh, and God was saying, do this to me. And I went and talked to the pastor, and the pastor says, you do what God tells you to do. You just make sure it's God. That's a great pastor. Because a lot of pastors become kings where they want to kill the younger. But this pastor was a father. Fathers love the day when sons come alongside and can help build and even take it over, like Sanford and Son. That's a bad one. That's a bad one. But it it was comical, the show, but it was bad as far as the father-son relationship. Now, I believe in having a little fun. I believe in... uh, I believe in having uh, the Bible, and I got a little, uh, I get a little devotion every day from a particular guy. I sign up to be on this list just to be on the list and see what he's talking about in devotion. And today's devotion was rejoice. And I believe in rejoicing. 
I believe in uh, that God gave rejoicing to his people to the point where he set up feast time. He set them up throughout the year. Like now we're in the Jewish New Year. They, they have feast of tabernacles and they have the feast, these different feasts, and they celebrate it. It wasn't going there and just no music. No, 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 they celebrate it. The Apostle Paul says, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. You know, rejoice, 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 you children of the Lord. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. Clap your hands, clap your hands, clap your hands, ye children of the Lord. Clap your hands, clap your hands, clap your hands. Clap your hands, ye. When the church starts rejoicing and clapping their hands, the devil gets scared and gets out of the way. Now, you heard Glenn alluded to the fact that we are salt and pepper. Now, everybody know what salt does to food, right? It flavors it. It preserves it. It, it, The Bible says you are salt. He's salt. He's able to season because he is seasoned. Those that are seasoned can season. Hello? That's why God put that salt shaker on the table so he can season us. But on that same table, there's a black substance called what? Pepper. And what is pepper? Spicy. Put a, put a little kick in your off and get you off from there because once you get that pepper and once you get that off, you can get up and get about what you've been seasoned with. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm preaching. I'm on. I have an assignment today, but that's just kind of on top. And this is my first time here. And usually when I go to churches for the first time, I try to break the ice because, you know, uh, I haven't been here before, and you don't know me, a whole lot of you, and I don't know you. But this is something I like to do, and it's just a little, it's in fun, so I hope nobody gets mad. You know, pastors, you know, we, after, after a while, even pepper gets seasoned. <laughs> Hello? And so you say things, and you do things, and you, you hope that it doesn't upset nobody, but it's just for fun, okay? But I like to, I like to say this to the congregation. I'd like for you to look at somebody next to you and say these words. I got something to tell you. Come on, come on. No, just have fun with it. Just have fun. Just have a little fun. You know, after a while, you can say, you know, I passed you stupid. He did all this crazy stuff. But, but in here today, just humor me for a little bit, okay? So I got something to tell you. Might come as a shock to you. A complete surprise. But I just got to tell you, you're the best thing. Since peanut butter. And do you know how you make peanut butter, neighbor? Come on. You get a bunch of nuts together and squeeze them. 
So would you make a little peanut, peanut butter in here today by giving somebody a hug or a handshake? Come on, make a little peanut butter in the house. Give them a little handshake. Give them a little squeeze around the neck. Make a little peanut butter. It's okay. You'll be all right. Give somebody a hug. We're just getting to know one another. Glenn talked about the fellowship and the foundation. I think peanut butter. How you doing, peanut butter? <laughs> Good. Good. Good to see you. <laughs> and you know there's another one, right? You know there's another one, right? You know they have peanut butter and? You want to do the other one? Is everybody okay? Now I called you a nut. Are you okay with that? It's just for fun, okay? Just for fun. Well, let's let, find a neighbor against a neighbor. I got something to tell you. Might be a shock to you. Complete surprise. But you're the best thing since jelly. And you know how you make jelly, neighbor? You get a bunch of fruits together and squeeze them. Come on, make a little jelly. Come on, make a little jelly in the house. Give somebody a little hug. We're making peanut butter and jelly. And here's what I like about peanut butter and jelly. It'll keep you alive. Peanut butter and jelly relationships will keep you alive. Peanut butter and jelly relationships will keep you alive and keep the church alive. There's something that God gave that uh, George Washington Carver, who took a peanut and looked at a peanut and produced so many things from a peanut. And one of the best things he produced was peanut butter. And I love some good old peanut butter. And guess what? Peanut butter keep you alive. And throw a little jelly on top of that, on some good bread. You know, Miss Rita, my wife, really used to make homemade bread. Uh, nothing better. She'd set it all together and push it to be on the timer that it would go off and start making the bread in the middle of the night. And you wake up in the middle of the night to that bread and that bread machine. There's nothing smell better in your house than the homemade bread. Amen. Wake up like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning to the aroma of bread. It's just like it used to be during Thanksgiving and Christmas time when we was home as a child. You wake up in the middle of the night and the turkey's cooking with all the seasonings and stuff, and it just brings an aroma in the house. Listen to me. The greatest remember button you have is scent memory. Scent memory. When I wake up in the middle of the night and she after she put the turkey on at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, takes me all the way back to my mom's house. I instantly go back there. That's why the Bible said it's a sweet smelling aroma to God. Listen, you and I are. And God remembers us. And he remembered, he kept remembering the covenant that he made in the Old Testament with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remembered his covenant. Yeah. And let me tell you something. You heard him talk about a new covenant. God remembers his covenant when his people take him back. Now, I know we can't take him back. I'm just saying in, in theory, if you will. But we take him back when we start worshiping the greatest thing that was ever done on planet Earth. 
the greatest thing that was ever sent to planet Earth, his son. And when we start worshiping him, God remembers. And he loves to see us worship him. He loves to see us worship him based on what his son did. Out of your worship comes your praise. Why? Because when you're walking with God, worship is close and up front to God. We call it worth-ship. You begin to see how much God is worth to you. And when you begin to see that up front and personal, then out of that comes praise. A hallelujah. Sometimes, sometimes people have been known to stop the car in the middle of a road and get out of their car and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm a fanatical praiser. Because it took fanaticism to get me out of where I was. On drugs, dying in the Kansas hospital, IVs in my body, dying, 1981. And when the Lord got me out, you think I'm going to sit down on that kind of a God that brought me out? Listen, 21 years old, haven't really done anything on planet Earth yet, hadn't made no contribution per se that I know of, and God rescued me at 21. When I came home from Kansas back to Missouri, I called my mom, said, I'm coming home. I said, can I come home? She said, come on, son. But I was coming home to die in my mind. I was, I was drugged out. And I said, I'm going home to die. I'm not dying out here in Dodge City. I happened to be Dodge City where I was. <laughs> you know what, Matt and Festus and Kitty and all of them. <laughs> I'm not dying out here in Dodge. I was getting ready to say something, but y'all might not know. I mean, I don't know if I could say it here, but I was getting ready. So we used to say in Dodge, get the hell out of Dodge. Amen. Literally, get the hell out of Dodge. <sighs> okay, I told you I was, I told you I was Pepper. <laughs> you never know how Pepper's going to hit you. Excuse, I mean, I may, I, Glenn may only have me here one time, but I'm going to get it all in in this one time. <laughs> Before he comes, takes the mic and shut me down, I'm going to get it in. They used to say, get it and run. <laughs> but I am on assignment. I'm going to get to my assignment now. I'm going to get to my assignment, which I don't plan to be before you long, hopefully. You never know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. But I'm going to get to my assignment that Glenn has assigned me and signed me up for today. And when he was with us and some of you were there uh, back in August, uh, we had a Sunday night service and I spoke about the communion. And I want to go, I want to go in depth with that a little bit. The communion, which the church, the enemy has lulled us to sleep on far as the church. Sometimes we have it once a month. Sometimes we have it certain time of the year, maybe once. But I believe in the, I believe in the first church that had it daily. They went from house to house, did eat their bread. It's communion. And had singleness of heart. They had communion 
with themselves and they had communion with the Holy Spirit as they remembered the words of Jesus. He said, do this to remember me. As often as you do it, the first church had such a revelation of it, they did it daily. And God did some powerful things because they remembered. One of the, one of the most powerful things we can do is remember what God has done. And God constantly said this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you things. I'm going to give you houses that you didn't build. I'm going to give you places. I'm going to give all kind of stuff to you. But this is one thing I want you to do. Remember me. And when Israel got in trouble is when they stopped remembering God. And then God would let an enemy come in and get them right back to where their remembrance. I think, church, I'm not going to get on uh, see, I say the Holy Spirit starts working. I believe the United States of America is in such dire straits in one sense because we have forgot who our God is. Now, I'm not going to say like some people say, oh, this was a, we, we've been a Christian nation and we were founded with Christian parents. Do you not know a fallacy is? Do you not know a lot of the forefathers didn't even go to church? They had enlightenment. They were enlightened about some things. Benjamin Franklin, they tell me, did not go to church. Hello, church world. <laughs> they tell me that Benjamin Franklin was really a pimp. Now, I, know, I, know, I already know how people think, well, you unpatriotic, you need to just leave the country. No, I'm not. I'm as much patriot as anybody else. I salute the flag. The other day, <sighs> the other day we were asked to go be grandparents for a little guy. His grandmother was working and the father's kind of off, his, the grandfather's kind of off in his own world. And we were asked, listen to me, we were asked by a white couple to come be grandparents for their son. Listen, because the mother asked the son when they found out that the grandma couldn't do it. He said, well, who else would you want? He said, I want Pastor and Miss Rita to come to be at this school, primarily white school, Philadelphia, Missouri, primarily white school. I did see one black child, and they, and they they do the Pledge of Allegiance. And they sing the Star Spangled Banner. And when I was honoring that flag, I started doing what I'm doing now. I'm, not, I'm never going to disrespect the flag. Never. But I will tell the country and primarily the church, that there is no place in God's church. There is no place in God's church for racism, prejudice. It's not supposed to be in the church of Jesus Christ that he paid for with his own blood. Amen. And that goes both ways because there's a lot of black people just as prejudiced and racist as can be. And they always say, well, can a black person be prejudiced? Sure they can. 
And that's why sometimes black people don't like me because I stand up and tell them the truth. <laughs> Hello. Sure they can. Because I've heard, I've heard of my forefathers, black people, say, well, they did it to us. We can do it to them. No, we can't. Glenn Berry told me 20,000 miles, or, uh, not miles, but you know when the plane goes up, what's it goes up? Uh, feet. 20,000 feet in the air. We was coming back from Mexico, the country of Mexico, and he said these words to me. Paul, doesn't it say something in the Bible about what's over a man's soul if he's going to reap? I said, yes, it does. And he said these words, he says, that's why I tell you and I tell my Mexi Mexican friends, Hispanic friends, that you guys have to teach this thing right now. Because if you don't teach it right to your people, to your congregations, then we'll start this thing all over again where we'll have what we have now, but it'll be all over coming from a whole different people. And let me tell you some people, whether we like it or not, the Hispanic people is going faster than anybody in this country. And you know what I have decided to do? Make friends. I've decided to make friends. When I go down to the Mexican restaurant, I try to talk in my hablan espanol, and they laugh at me. But they, they see my heart. And I made friends with one guy, his name is Ezra, and he always say, Buenos dias, Pablo. And I always say, Buenos dias, Ezra, hello. <laughs> okay, let me get to my sign. Boy, I'm trying to get to my sign, McLean. Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 14. That, that, all that right there was just hot bread from heaven, as some they used to tell us back up in the day when we went to church. It's called hot bread from heaven. All right. You know why? Because that was not in my mind. That was not the topic. But it come out. Yeah, peanut butter and jelly. We had to get the bread. That's right. That's right. See, see the Holy Ghost knows what you need. So he had the peanut butter and jelly, but he made the bread. Genesis 14. I'm going to make my case a little bit, and then we're going to do the communion. Is that okay? I just want to make my case for the communion. And hopefully, you'll begin to see the necessity of the communion and how it's more than the three that I want to pull out. But I just want to pull out three different times in the Bible where we begin to see the grain and the wine, which is really the communion. The first time for me that I like to dial into because Abraham is the father of the faith. Abraham is my father in faith. Because those of us that are of the faith of Abraham, we're truly the children of God. And so I like to go back and pull out things like that. They like the Apostle Paul. I like to get, I like to really dial into the Apostle Paul because you know why? He was the Apostle to the Gentiles. So I want to see what he said to us. That's why I study him quite a bit. I, I don't say I don't study my history with the Jewish nation because it's in my Bible. But I recognize God gave them something and then God gave us something. And eventually he's going to put it all back to, he's going to put it all together in one. When Jesus returns. We're all coming together as one, one body. Is that me moving some kind of way or something? Because it keeps squeaking on me. 
Genesis. I want, let me build my case real quick. Genesis 14, verse 17. Really, I'm going to build my case. This, this story here happened when Lot was taken. Those of you read your Bible, there's, when Lot was taken by, there's four kings that came in and took Lot and his goods and the people. Abraham's a nephew. And when they took him, Abraham armed, listen, Abraham armed his 318 men to went to go fight a battle with four kings. Now, in the four kings, there could have been thousands of people representing those four kings. But Abraham and his 18, uh, 318 men won the battle. And when they come from the battles, well, I want to pick it up. When they got from the battle... I want to pick it up here and just look and see what happened in this after the battle. So in Genesis 14, verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return, Abraham, from the slaughter and the, king, and the kings that were with him at the valley of Shavah, which is the king's dale. Now look, look what shows up, Melchizedek, king of Salem, might I say to you, Salem, when you think about Salem, Jerusalem, I believe Christ showed up in this Old Testament form as Melchizedek, like Christ anyway. He shows up. Same time, the king of Sodom showed up, this Melchizedek character showed up. And we pick it up in Hebrews, talk about him. He had no beginning, had no end, uh, about Melchizedek. And it says, he shows up, and listen, this king of Salem brought forth bread and wine. What does that sound like to you? Communion. Now, question. I like questions, and you can pop off an answer, but I like questions. Why would this king of Salem show up at this particular time, in this particular, in, in Abraham's life right now? This is, why, this is why we'll take off here in a minute on, I believe that there is health and wholeness in the Holy Communion. Anybody ever been in a fight? Yeah. Come on, be, let's be real in here. Y'all don't say, well, I don't want nobody to know I've been in a fight. Yeah, I've been in a fight. You ever been in a fight? After the fight, how did you feel? Beat up. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> maybe you got beat up, or maybe some of us may have been a beater-upper. <laughs> But when it was a fight fight, when you got done with that fight, you may have been exhausted, tired, wore out, had to go somewhere and sit down and recoup. Abraham shows up, uh, the king of Salem shows up to Abraham after the battle, bringing bread and wine, communion. So I take off on communion represents health and wholeness and restoring because that's what he would have needed after he went and fought with four kings with just 318 men, and they could have been thousands of them. So he shows up in the middle of this battle, at the end of this battle, why the, listen, why the king of Sodom shows up, Melchizedek shows up. I want to show you two things about it, then we're going to move on. We're going to keep going. But it says, and he brought bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of the Most High, God possessor of heaven and earth. 
and blessed be the most high God, which has delivered thine enemy into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. I'm not going to take off on the tithes of all, but I just want to show, I want to put this in so you can study in your own time. Listen, what we see working here, hear me, what we see working here is health and wholeness. And we also see tithe, tithe means rich. He gives a tithe of all. And, and listen, in the word tithe is the word aser. The word tithe, when you look it up, is muser. And the only thing that separates those two things is the first letter, which it reads from right to left. The word mem, in the Hebrew it says mem. You take off mem, you have rich. Studying your own time. I'm just running by it. <laughs> but, but he says he gave him tithe. Because, listen, Abraham knew he was going to be rich. And Abraham was rich. In our time today, we need to, we need to run by these. There, there's no curse with not tithing. But there's a blessing for tithing. Amen. I'm going to say it again. A tithe means 10%. If, you, if you're struggling, if you're having things that's just not working out, maybe you, could, maybe you should consider getting on God's economy. Because in the word tithe is the word aser, which when you look up aser, it means rich. So he gave a tithe to God because he knew he was going to be rich. Why? Listen, why? Why did he do that? And the king of Sodom, here we go. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to yourself. Don't that sound like the devil? The devil's always wanting the people. We go after the goods. We go after things, the devil's always wanting the people. But Abraham, smart, said, and Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hands unto the Lord most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I made Abram rich. Abram knew he was going to be rich. Why? He had a revelation. He got a revelation of the tithe. Well, how did he get it? I believe God revealed it to him, just like we saw here. There was, there was a, some information given about somebody in here, and, they, and we just acted on it. And I believe because we acted on it, the situation changed. Changed. This is not my word. I'm just giving you the word as I study and as I read it. Health and wholeness showed up. Abraham had a revelation to give tithe. And he said, I'm not going to take nothing from you lest you say you made Abraham rich. Because I've already stretched my hands to the possessor of heaven and earth. Let me tell you some people I've found through the years, even in Abraham's life, God doesn't want you taking everything from everybody. God doesn't want everybody being in your life. Just like here. He said, I ain't taking nothing from you. Because there's people who want to try to do things for you so they can make a spectacle of you. I've seen it. 
I had a guy, we, we lost a building that we had, a guy come to me and say, you know what, I could put together $50,000 right now. I never felt anything in my spirit to take anything from him. And when I get down the road now, hindsight's 2020, I realize why. Because he wanted to make a spectacle out of us. I don't need you. I've already stretched my hand to the possessor of heaven and earth, and we got almost a three times bigger, Glenn, no, we got almost a three times bigger, and uh, Brother Alamine's been there, three times bigger building than what we had almost Amen. today. Just a little side note. It's not what I'm taking off today. Okay, I want to go. I, I, I see the first time. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. I want to, I'm just building my case for what, what I'm talking about, what we're going to do here in a minute. Just building my case. Okay? Y'all was worshiping so beautiful, and y'all got the Holy Spirit here. Sometimes you don't know when, when to stop and shut down or just keep going. When, you, when, when you're worshiping and you're getting in that, you just don't know. Sometimes you, you're just like, do we stop? Or do we just keep going? <laughs> but we will never be able to shut God down because his flow keeps going. We just step out for a moment, then we step back in. We have to rest. God doesn't need to rest, but we do. Hang on. Hang on. Is that me bending like it? No, I don't think it's me. I, can say, <laughs> I thought I turned it off. Matthew chapter 26, 6. This is Jesus picking it up now. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body for you. Jesus picks up on the communion. He takes bread. As they were eating, he took bread. So listen, it couldn't have been about them being hungry because they were already eating. So there was something significant that Jesus was leading them into. He said, this is my body broken for you. What I'm doing now is, listen, can anybody tell me at any time whatsoever throughout the Gospels or throughout the Word of God, can you show me any time that Jesus was sick? Do you, did you ever you read in there when it, when it was time for the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said, Peter, you got to fill in for me today. I don't feel good. No. Listen, listen. Jesus says to the Father, prepare me a body. And I'll go down to deliver your people. And in the fullness of time, he had a prepared body. Now he says to his disciples, take this bread and eat. Because this represents my body that's going to be broken for you. In his earthly ministry, he says, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. To give life to the world. I am the bread of life. I am the significance of life. And he said, he broke the bread and he said, take and eat. Remember, remember, we saw Abraham 
in his day, in his time, getting the grain and the wine, the communion, after a battle, after maybe a major battle that went on. This king, Melchizedek, king of Salem, shows up with bread and wine. Sustaining, replenishing. That's what we find in the Holy Communion. And the church, we've been, we've been kind of whitewashed to put it aside. Like there's no significance. But I'm resurrecting it. I'm resurrecting, as we talked about the stones, I'm resurrecting that because I, I believe in the Holy Communion. And as we've been teaching it, there's people in the church that are getting healed, significantly healed. There's people that's been taking the Holy Communion, listen, listen, got healed of cancer because we instituted again the Holy Communion, listen, with understanding that Jesus said, this is my body. I'm the bread of life. Take the communion. Listen, and we're going to get to Paul. We're going to finish up on Paul. But he says, I am. The bread is for your healing. Watch, watch what he does. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye. All of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. We lump them together, but really they're, they're two different elements that represent two different things. It's okay to put them together because we put them together. But I want to put them together with understanding. Listen, bread for my health, my wholeness, replenishing, restoring. The blood, he said, is for the remissions of sin. And I recognize because of his shed blood, I have forgiveness of sins. Listen, past, present, future have all been paid for. In the one sacrifice of Jesus, they've all been paid for. Because I pick it up where Peter said, or John said, not for our sins, meaning the Jews only, but for the sins of the whole world. Question, were you and I there when that was written 2,000 years ago? Of course not. So that blood had to be able to pay for future sins too. Because I didn't commit a sin at that moment. Wasn't there. You're absolutely right. From 1961 when I was born forward, I was committing sin. Oh, don't look at me like that, like church. Like, you commit sin? Well, guess what? The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory. Amen. <laughs> I was stealing cookies out of a cookie jar, fish off of plates. A lot of people stole the cookie out of a cookie jar. I'm sure I had some of that, but mine was fish. My mom and dad had a knock at the door, and they had a big plate. Remember whiting, the white whiting fish? They had a big plate of it on the table. They had to go to the door, answer the door. And I was kind of in the dark, but that plate of whiting was on that table. And, and I smelled those whitings. And I ate the whole plate, four or five-year-old kid. My mom said, boy, I don't know how you didn't get sick. I think, my mom, I think God was trying to show my mom and dad, this boy's going to eat fish in his life. This boy's going to love fish. They should have picked up on that because I eat the blank out of fish now. Amen. 
<laughs> I'm a fish connoisseur. <laughs> Health and wholeness through the Holy Communion. Listen, listen. And forgiveness of sin. The shed blood. Paid for our sins. I want the God of mercy. You know why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And what does mercy mean? It means I get love when I'm unlovable instead of judgment. I want the merciful God. And let me tell you something, church, we need to get this message out to the world because the church, because the church has browbeat people so bad throughout history, at least the last 50 to 100 years, to where people don't even want to come around our church. That's right. Because they think all we're going to, they're going to get is judgment. No, we need to give them mercy. Hear me. But then truth needs to kiss mercy. Yeah. It's mercy and truth. You find it run together. But it's mercy first. Then we give them truth, not judgment, but truth. That's right. That's right. And that's what will make the church explode. That's right. When they know they're not going to be judged. And we, a lot of times we get to sitting up in our, okay, I'm, I'm in my pastoral moment now, Glenn. So, but I'm, I'm trying to stay in my evangelistic mode, but I keep running over to that pastor mode because that's what I've been doing for almost 30 years. <laughs> Pastoring. But people won't come around us because we want to browbeat. The Bible says these words, they first came to hear, then be healed. You can't get them healed if they don't hear. We got to give them something worth hearing. Then they can move into health or being healed. What I mean by that, coming out of that darkness into the marvelous light. But if we try to browbeat them out of it, you know, like I know, you tell your kids don't do something, what are they going to do? Come on, y'all, talk back to me a little bit, just a little bit. I know, I, know, I, I know I'm in a particular church, I'm not here all the time, but talk back to me. When you tell children don't do something, what do they want to do? They want to do what you tell them not to do. Johnny, don't touch that fire. Johnny's going to be over there. Johnny, don't touch the fire. Johnny's going to be over there. I, I, I have a gentleman that said to me, he said, this is cruel, but you know what? I don't stop him from touching the fire. Let him touch it. You know why? I bet he only touches it once. That's cruel, but sometimes we got to touch the fire. Okay, okay, okay. That's not, I mean, First Corinthians, I'm going to do it. First Corinthians chapter 11 real quick. I'm, I'm moving real quick now. I, I want to pick up the Apostle Paul's account of it that was revealed to him about the communion. In First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, real quick. I'm just building my case. Sometimes when you build cases, it's kind of a little drab. You got to sit there and build a case. <laughs> well, you never know what God's going to do beyond it. Okay, 1 Corinthians <laughs> chapter 11, verse 23, the Apostle Paul picks it up. Now we see three witnesses, right? The Bible says, in, in the Bible says, let two or three witnesses, then let it be established. Well, I gave you three witnesses. Well, I'm going to give you the third one. I gave you two. Here it says, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he break it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do and remember some me. After the same manner, also, he took the cup, which he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. One of the great, listen to me, people. You got some things that keep showing up in your life. You got some enemies keep showing up in your life. You start preparing the communion on a daily basis and, and walk, listen, start your day in the communion. I guarantee you those things are going to move from you. Because one of the greatest things showing up, I don't know if it's you showing up or King Melchizedek showing up with the Lord's communion. They don't know who it is showing up, and they're going to flee from you. They're going to get moving from you. Because he said, it shows my death. And they know all spirit, all spirit realm, everything in the spirit realm, all spirit realm know the power of Jesus and his shed blood. That's why demons, when demons would come in Jesus' presence, they would always try to talk to him. Hey, Lord, don't mess with us. We know who you are, Jesus. Leave us alone. Why have you come here to torment us before our time? Shut up and get out. Amen. You want to silence the devil? Shut up and get out of here. I'm going to throw this in because I want you to get this. Hear this. If you think the devil is to be defeated, you're already defeated. He's not to be defeated. He is defeated. And our job is to appropriate that defeat. When he shows up with his ugly head messing with us, then we need to appropriate and enforce the victory of Jesus. Our job is to enforce it. We've been, listen, we've been given the ability to be a priest, to be a prophet, and to be a king. And they're different functions. My priestly is when I come lead the people to God. My, my prophetic is when I hear from God and bring to the people. My kingly anointing is when I speak and decree and things happen. Even make devils tremble and get away from me. Come out! Like Jesus did. He didn't, he didn't mess around with them. He just said, get out. Go on. Don't get back in here no more. You've been given those anointings now through Jesus. When you, listen, if you understand the power of your words, this earth is moved by words. It's voice activated. God activated through voice. And the voice that activated was the Son of God. Listen, God, the Father, imagined it. The Son saw what the Father imagined and spoke it. And in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit was hovering, waiting for the voice activation. And then he began to work. And let me tell you something. It's like what Glenn was saying today. There's time when you have those, those moments when God breaks in. That's because, listen, hear me real good. When God breaks in with a voice, the Holy Spirit hears that voice. He's going to work. And he's obsessive in his work. That's my Dow Robinson teaching. He's obsessive in his work. 
He's going to get done what Father has imagined and the Son has spoken. Without the Son, there's not anything made that was made. Why? Because it was the Son that gave voice to what God wanted. And the Spirit heard that voice and went to work. We're not fighting alone. We have that same spirit, the Bible says. We have in the same spirit of faith. We believe and therefore we speak. We're going to get back to voice activation. You can, you can activate things in your life. Listen, you can activate things in your children's life and you can call things out of your children's life. Because you got that kind of power. The whole earth is trying to silence the church because the devil knows the church is the only entity, the only entity that can silence him and put him down and put him out. It's our job to start speaking again. And he says, take this cup, drink it. Listen, here's what I want to get to. For as often as you, you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Listen, but let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that, drink, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eat and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Listen, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Listen, now let me explain. When I grew up, when this was read, when I grew up in the church, when it was time for the communion, I was scared as hell. I mean, I was scared. <laughs> Why? Because they made, it, they made it be like, if you drink this cup and you eat this bread with sin in your life, you're going to die. That's where I grew up. So we were scared of the communion. But as, as I got older and I began to read and study for myself, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about that. Because how do I know if I have sin in my life completely or not? I don't. Because I could already have thought a bad thought about your pastor already. Could have. Like, you could be sitting there thinking about me. Boy, I wish that boy would shut up. I'm tired, man. I got to get downtown to get me some bread, get some food. Been talking man, I wish we'd get on out of here. Why bring him up in here anyway? <laughs> it's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is eating in faith. Hear me? And eating in a worthy way. When you go and study this out, they were, they were getting ahead of everything. There were people in the church getting ahead of the congregation. They were eating up all the bread and they were drinking up all the wine. They were getting, it was in gluttony and they were drunk. And he said, that's unworthy. Because he goes on to say, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? When you come here, don't act like that. Number one, you ain't even truly understanding what the Lord did for you. When you, when you correctly discern what he did for you, you are so humble, you are so, so uh, giving in thanks that, you know what, you want to just be right when you do it. So don't get ahead of everybody eating up all the bread, drinking up all the wine. Discern the Lord's body, meaning Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Hear me, people, right here. This is the crutch of it all. He said, this is my body broken for you. He took his perfect body. 
that knew no sin, the Bible says, neither God found in his mouth. He had no sickness and disease, and he gave that body in exchange for my broken body, my sinful body, my body that could not be healed, my body that had nothing in it. He exchanged his body for my body. So when I take the communion, the apostle Paul said, discern the Lord's body, meaning look at his body perfect and whole versus your body all broken up and beat up and needs health and wholeness and exchange it in the Holy Communion. Exchange what was done. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And he said, listen, the only reason why we as Christians die prematurely is because we do not discern what the Lord did. I'm supposed to see my cancer, my disease, my diabetes, and all my stuff. And I ain't saying I'm perfect in it, but I'm working at it. I'm supposed to see all that given to him. I'm supposed to see what he was and who he is as mine. There's a faith exchange. You exchange. There's an exchange. Oh, how I wish people would stay and sit still. Listen, we, we can sit still for anything we want to. But a lot of times we come to church, we think, well, because the American church model has said an hour. So we think, well, okay. <laughs> start looking at the clock, start doing all But listen, I sit down and watch football. I watch football all day long. I take over the TV on Saturday and Sunday. Okay, okay, women, don't shout me now when I'm preaching this. <laughs> and I can sit there and watch game after game after game after game. Why? Because I enjoy football. And I've learned how Okay, men don't think I'm a wimp. But, but I've learned how to watch Lifetime TV. <laughs> Hallmark Channel. <laughs> I've learned. Sister, I've learned. <laughs> and don't, yeah, yeah, we need prayer. <laughs> well, I need prayer. And, 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 and what I found now, I'm sitting there watching these shows and these movies, and I'm crying worse than the women sitting around with me. I used to be a mean, tough, rugged individual, like outdoor man and outback man and all that stuff. And then I started watching Lifetime and Hallmark. Look, I know. Little house on the prairie, and, and you know Michael London crying all the time. I'm crying with Michael, you know, and I'm sitting there watching these things. And I tell you, I was crying up in there. Was we were doing the Pledge of Allegiance in a little town, and we sang the Star Spangled Banner. And I was crying. I used to be when I, when I, years ago, when I was a real man, <laughs> and we had football games and they would play the Star Spangled Banner, I was sitting there thinking about knocking somebody's head off when they talked to playing the Star Spangled Banner. I'll just tell you, when it comes to football and be on that field, I'm ready to knock your head off. <laughs> it didn't help you up. <laughs> But today, because I've been watching Hallmark and Lifetime, they playing, I'm crying. I don't know if that's because of that. I just think the Lord was showing me something. I have to, I, God has given me, listen, God has given me a ministry and it's cross-culture. 
I'm a cross-culture minister. I preach I, I'm primarily in my black community, yes. But one day in a vision dream, and we was in worship, and I was down on my, I was down before the altar. <laughs> and we was worshiping like we were today. And in my vision, in my dream, I could tell I had a black baby in my arm. And, I, and, and people come from the side of me, and they brought a little white baby and put him in my arm. And I was before God and before the altar with these two little babies. And deep in worship, big hot tears were coming, in my, was coming down my face in my dream. But when I woke up, it, it was that way in my physical. My pillow was so wet from these tears. And I could hear the white culture say, he cares. He really does care. That's why I can't disrespect anything. I have to transcend what was done. I have to transcend out of that. I'm of the kingdom now. I have to transcend out of slavery and what was done and all that. No, I'm in the kingdom now. But I'm like Joseph. What was, listen, what was done by people, his brothers, was really a part of God's plan to save people's lives. And whether you believe it or not, I'm just, I'm a brother from another mother, but I'm a brother. And whether you understand it or not, running through my veins can work in a white person's body if we got the same blood. And it ain't going to make you black or white. It's going to make you still human. Amen. That's right. We, we've let all this crazy stuff creep into our lives. Church should not be amongst us. Not us. We know it's in the world, but not us. Not when you say Jesus Christ is your Lord, because none of us, well, I shouldn't say that. Some of you may be, but most of us is not Jewish in here. And Jesus was a Jew. Period. He's Hebrew. He was not Caucasian, per se, not Africa, but he was Jew. But we act like we own him. No, we don't. He was given to the world, for God so loved the world, he gave. He gave to the world. He didn't just give to the Jews only. He didn't give to the white man or the black man or the Chinese or the Japanese or the yellow or the brown or the white, red or black. He gave it to the world. That's right. Amen. Amen. And none of us have a monopoly on him. I'm sorry. I can't, see, I can't help that. That's just a part of my, that's just a part of my, that's just a part of my, my calling. And it comes out. I can't help what comes out because the Bible says out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It just comes out. I know what God gave me. I know my calling. I know God said you're going to minister cross culture. And then he gave me that little baby to solidify it. And I have to preach. And I have to teach it among black and white cultures. God's blending it. It ain't me. It's God. Amen. Amen. I, amen. I, hope, I hope it wasn't too... It wasn't too forward for my first time. 
I don't mean to be. I just want you to see my heart. And the only way you see my heart is when I talk. But in the communion, in the communion, you can get healed today. Another scripture, listen, read, study these things out, but listen to me. The last thing I want to say to you is when, when it was time for the blessing of Isaac to bless Jacob and Esau, of course, we know the story how Jacob got in and stole it and took it and all that. But in that blessing, he said, the Lord give you plenty of grain and wine. Why would he need plenty of it? Say, somebody, do it every day. Plenty of it. When I'm telling, when I'm relaying on to you, the Apostle Paul said, teach these things to faithful men who are able to teach others. When I'm giving to you, you practice. Set aside the juice. Where we teach the juice, okay, because we have, we have people come in that have trouble with alcohol, so we're not trying to put alcohol on people. But, but the cracker... My, my wife really gets the oyster crackers, and we have plenty of them. We get a bottle of juice. We think it's going to last a while, but our son gets it and drank it up. <laughs> I guess he's trying to get all of it. He see, he's, he's like them ones in the Bible, drinking up all the stuff before everybody else can get it. <laughs> but I said, get plenty of it. Get you some oyster crackers and get you some juice. Listen, listen, set it aside daily. And if, and if I was you, hear me, if I was you, and if there's major illnesses in your body, I would take it just like they take, teach us, take the medicine three times a day. One pill three times a day, two pills three times a day. Take it. But take it with understanding and take it in faith. Lord, I see this disease on you because you took it to the cross. And what you had on you comes on me, which is health and wholeness. Wow. I told you, I'm reinstituting as much as I can the communion back to the church. You know, our Catholic brothers and sisters got us beat. You know why? They take it every Sunday, every service. I've been in a lot of Catholic services with my Catholic friends. Communion is going to be taken. It's going to be done. Even if it's done like this. Everybody that's not a Catholic, don't come up here. Oh, I've been in those meetings. And I've been in a meeting where the pre other priest says, everybody can partake. Come on up here. I partake. I partake. Brothers or whoever's going to prepare in that, the elements, go ahead and get the elements. And listen, when we take it today, after you get your elements, the bread and the juice or bread and your wine, whichever way you do here, just hold it because we'll do it all together corporately. Okay? Now listen to me. I'm just leading it here because somebody has to facilitate it. But when you leave here, you can facilitate it in your home. Primarily, if father's there, let father lead it. If Father's not there, and it's just a mother. Mother, you lead it. If there's, no, if there's an older son, older son, you lead it. 
But when you, when you get it, just hold it together, we'll take it together. When oh. I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he placed my feet on solid ground. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he placed my feet, on solid ground. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Throughout his earthly ministry, he says, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven to give life to the world. He did not come to make bad people good. He come to make dead people live. He's the bread of life. So what comes from him is life. And he said, in as much as you do this, you do show my death. Do this to remember me. Just before we partake of the bread, I want, if there's something in your life, something hurting you or sickness or disease or whatever. I want you to take a moment and I want you to go into faith realm and say, Jesus, you carried this. Isaiah said, with his stripes, we're healed. Isaiah prophesied in the future. Matthew chapter 8, 17 says, Isaiah prophesied that he himself would bear our sicknesses and disease. First Peter chapter 2, 24 says, with his stripes, we were. Isaiah says, you will be. Peter says, you were healed. As Glenn says, we're not trying to get, we already are. We just need to appropriate, hear me, hear me, information without application leads frustration. So we want the application of the information. And that's why we go in our faith. That's what we believe. That's what we trust our God. And we trust and release your faith. Just before we pray the prayer, whatever may be happening, see that on him. Jesus carried that. I don't have to carry it because he did. And I see what comes from him in mine. My pancreas, 
I've been working with my pancreas. <coughs> Through stress and just, just being stressful and stressful, I, pr- I pretty much killed my pancreas to where it's not secreting my insulin no more. They put me on shots. A1C 15.9 or something. Put me on shots. But I discovered all that, all that stress, all that anguish that I was carrying in my body, should never been carrying it, and it shut my pancreas down. I'm no longer on shots today. My, my, my A1C went from 15.9 to 6.9. I started feeding on Jesus. See it on him. And see what he had as yours. I look at it and say, Jesus, I have your pancreas. It wasn't broken. And I've soon got that stress out of my life. But let's make the exchange today. And at church, we like to do it like this. I have you appear after me. And I'm just leading it so you can lead it when you leave. I usually have the people say these words. Jesus, I thank you for giving your body on my behalf. Jesus, you said you are the bread of life that comes down from heaven to give life to the world. I receive that. I accept that, Jesus. And because of that, I can see. Now, whatever it is, hear me, whatever it is you need to see on him, speak it to him now. You're not talking to me now, you're talking to him. Whatever it is, speak it to him. I see my pancreas on you, Jesus. I see your pancreas on me. Come on, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, appropriate it. This is what the Apostle Paul talked about, discerning the Lord's body. His body was perfect. But he gave it for us who had imperfect bodies so we can be whole and be healed through the Holy Communion. And then we pick it up and say, thank you, Jesus. You told me, Jesus, to eat the bread, to remind myself Christ in me, the hope of glory. Eat the bread. And, and just chew. Don't, don't, don't be in a rush. Just take your time and just feed on Jesus. Knowing in all time, Christ in you. Whew, somebody just got healed. My, my, my. Oh, God. Oh, God. God's, I mean, you know what? But, what Glenn talked about, they're just laying all around, parts just laying all around, eyes, you know, they're here. And guess what? The whole, I've, I have asked God for a ministering angel. And ministering angels are coming and they're picking up new parts and they're bringing them to you. Those of you that grow my faith, there's going to be, there's going to be some testimony, wonderful testimonies of some things change in your life. I'm telling you. I just felt them come in here. Before we, before we take the blood, I want to ask the question real quick. How many of you that are, that are my, in the 50s, 
Are you 50, at least 50, like I am 57 years old? Can I ask you a question? And I'm asking me the same question, you, those of you in the 50 and up. If God was to grant you another 10, 15, 20 good, strong years, would you use them for him? Would you give him them good, strong years? In that, when Glenn came to Monroe City, we, we got on that scripture that talked about we will praise him for a generation not yet born. Will you stay around and be strong and vibrant on this planet, in the church, and in the world for Christ? If he give you good, strong years, keep you strong and healthy. Listen, I believe that Moses can stay that way in the, in the old covenant. His eyes wasn't dim. His natural force was not abated. And he was over 120 years. And that natural force meaning he wasn't dried up. But he was still strong. Would you use those years for the Lord? Would you really get busy and use those years for God? For listen, for people that are not even born yet. That will be, that will be born. That's what I'm asking for. We need grandmas and grandpas, great grandmas and great grandpas and great, great, great. I was talking to the little child that we, we went out and was grandfathers for. You know, that little baby, that little boy still has, he has a great, great grandfather still on the earth. And now you got him a black one. <laughs> Makes them different to me because people are people. I could care less about all that color stuff. People are people. Can you and would you stay on the earth and let God use you even more? Because they tell me the greatest thing that a grandbaby needs in their life now is a grandmother and a grandfather. Even more than the parents. They need grandpa and grandma because there's still things and values in us, grandparents, that some of our children don't have. They say maybe not your children, but children on the earth. But we can teach those. We can teach them. I'm sorry I'm going long here, but I, I'm, I, I just feel like you're a group of people that can make a difference. So God and the Holy Spirit's taking time for you. After supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is a cup of my blood cut for a new covenant. Listen, with better promises. If they had good promises back then and they did, what about our promise today? One of the greatest things that they did not have that we have is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's a promise that God said, that gave after Jesus would do what he did. In the Old Testament, he came and went. In the New Testament, he says he was rushing like a rushing mighty wind to get to us, to never leave us, nor forsake us. And now he indwells you. That's what helps us live this life, the Holy Spirit working with us making us into the same image of Jesus. <clears throat> and he said he took that cup and he said to them, drink, each of you, this is my blood shed for a new covenant with better promises. Listen, and because of this shed blood, you have remission or forgiveness of sins. 
And when you accept that, you're in right standing with God. Not based, hear me, not based on your righteousness, but the righteousness of one, Christ Jesus. It's not a performer's righteousness, it's a grace righteousness that we receive. Not, not by our performance, but it's by the performance of one. I receive one of my greatest chapters in the Bible is Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Those that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. It's a gift. Three or four months, well, about three months or so, we're going to be celebrating the gift-giving season. And when somebody gives you a gift, what is your part? To take it. If you never take the gift, it's not a gift. Our part is just to take the gift of righteousness. Not by my performance. Jesus' performance of the cross. Death, burial, and resurrection. That's shouting stuff right there. <laughs> That's why we take the cup at church, at home. Say, Jesus, I thank you for shedding your blood on my behalf. Because of that shed blood and my receiving of your death, burial, and resurrection, I have forgiveness of sins. All my sins have been put away. Now, I receive. I take this cup. I drink this cup to honor you and to acknowledge the new covenant that you have paid for with your blood. Drink the cup. I stand on your promise. I stand on your word. I stand on your promise. My soul says yes. My soul says yes.